rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. I've literally been uh, on my couch glued to the TV like a lot of you out there that are uh, political fans uh, and pundits for the last few days. So no podcast. Honest to God, folks, really didn't have much to say. Just uh, I've been breaking down this game Saturday, been talking to some sources, been getting a feel for the fan base, which is kind of my job, just to kind of see not just the ones on the Big Spur or those of you that listen to the pod, but just kind of a, you know, a uh, a tough time right now. So I, I felt like I should maybe keep my mouth shut just for a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of watch this unfold in our country, uh, this election. And, and I'm going to say this about the election. Uh, I'm going to uh, say that I'm proud of our country for record turnout, uh, no matter who ends up winning the presidency. And it does look like the Democrats are going to win. Uh, I do think um, – I do think that uh, when we have that many people, you know, participate in our form of government, that uh, it's a positive thing because the people end up making the call. Now, I know this isn't a political podcast and there's a lot of, you know, theories out there uh, about a lot of things. But I do think that the one positive I can take away regardless is record turnout and a close election. You know, there's not a a, a mandate for anyone. Uh, And I think with, you know, sort of the extreme end of both sides, that's a positive thing because I think that, you know, the best times in our country are are when people meet in the middle of compromise. I think that's the American way. Uh, So all of you that voted, I'm proud of you. Uh, And that's a good good many of you. Uh, But um, that's the deal there. All right, on to the game. Uh, Texas A&M, South Carolina. I said earlier this week on the podcast, and, and I hope you're not getting your kickoff times from me because uh, many times I do this game with minimal – or this uh, podcast with minimal notes, do a lot from memory. You know, I, I said last week about beating a defending champion that it was – it had been since the 90s in a Georgia Tech game, and I forgot all about the 2010 Alabama game. So how uh, – you know, how how bad was that? I remember that Alabama game like it was yesterday, but – um you know, so I don't I don't use a lot of notes uh, and things like that. But I said earlier this week it was seven thirty on SEC Network, and that was originally what it was. And then they moved it and said, well, it could be seven p.m. ESPN. So A and M and Carolina is on ESPN at seven, and um, then uh, Arkansas Tennessee is the seven thirty SEC Network kickoff. Apologize for no JC and Morgan podcast this week. We had a skip last week as Mike had to go to Florida, prepare for that game. Uh, Mike's from Florida, so he went down a little early. We just could not find a time to connect. And then this week, Mike's been under the weather, so uh, I don't think he has COVID-19 or anything, just maybe a cold or the flu when you travel like he does. That happens. But we'll be back strong next week without a problem, probably early in the week. Uh, so apologize for that as well. Uh, but, you know, like, like I said, I, I just – you know, I do this every day during the week. Uh, and I know last week during the open date, as we normally do, there were only three episodes. This is only the third of this week. Uh, that's not going to happen often. I, I just felt like, you know, I was, I was I was really into what was going on with the election count and all the news because that's kind of my hobby. 
uh, and really just some of the the toxicity out there with the Gamecocks. And again, I, I'm no Pollyanna. Uh, I'm going to tell it like it is, and uh, we're going to get into some of that here in a second. But I, I just felt like you know, no matter I could talk this game to death, but it, it's not you know, it's not going to be that good. And really, we don't have that many mailbag questions either. So, and we're going to get to those today as well. Again, you want to get it on the mailbag. Tweet at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, if you want to get into the mailbag, um, think about the, uh, you know, think about the uh, tweeting at us at the Big Spur Pod. Um, and I do have some Twitter uh, questions to get to, too. Uh, just wanted to go through the game real quickly. AM is, a, I think, a, gotten up to a 10 point favorite, um, you know, and, and with some spreads, I haven't checked the spread today. It started out at seven and a half. Uh, I think that's legit. Texas A&M is playing really well right now. Um, they don't always look like a dominant football team. They don't look like an Alabama or, or somebody like that. But they, they go out and win. I watched a lot of their game with Arkansas last weekend. And Arkansas is a good, tough football team that gives people problems. Uh, and, and A&M did not play its best against the Razorbacks. And, they, and in that series, they don't. Um, usually when it's in um, – uh, Arlington, it's really close, like like butt tightening close. If you're an Aggie, uh, and it wasn't, uh, you know, Arkansas came back, made the score respectable. It was 42-17 late, and, and they just look like they've hit a groove right now. Uh, and in talking to some sources close to the program this week, they say this is the best team South Carolina's played all year, and maybe even compared to Georgia, one of the best teams they've played all year. Um, and if you if you think about it, A and M. You know, with the exception of some receivers opting out and a lot of it, uh, a lot of them, you know, they didn't really have a whole lot of question marks. This was supposed to be their year in the West. It was open and, and, you know, doggone it, if you look at their schedule, it's, you know, they could finish nine and one. I mean, that's not out of the question for this Aggie football team. And at that point, with the loss to Alabama, now it was ugly. It was 52-24, just like LSU Carolina. Uh, but if you if the Aggies run the table, I think you have to consider them in the conversation uh, for the playoff, particularly if Georgia, let's say Georgia drops one to Florida, you know, Florida maybe loses one or gets blown by Bama uh, in the championship game and they're sitting at two losses. You know, there is precedent for a one-loss SEC West team, especially against an all-SEC schedule, uh, to get in the playoffs. So the Aggies are – you know, th- this may this may yet be the breakthrough year that a lot of people were predicting that after the first two games of the season with a struggle against Vandy and a blowout loss to Bama, you're kind of like, well, here goes A&M again. And they hadn't been great, um, you know, in every single game, you know, and they played some teams that, you know, quite frankly, aren't that good. But, you know, I, I do believe that um, – you know, when you kind of look at that team and the talent they have and you look at their personnel, their defensive line's outstanding. Uh, they got a senior quarterback. The receivers have set up. Isaiah Spiller and the other backs are good. They got a big physical offensive line. You know, this is a problematic football team heading into Williams-Price. That said, uh, can anything happen? Can South Carolina upset the Aggies? Absolutely. Because Texas A&M doesn't always play to its potential. Um, and South Carolina, when it does play to its potential, is not a bad football team. I, I know everybody thinks that, uh, but South Carolina didn't play to its potential against LSU. Uh, and, and then I don't think it helped that Auburn, even though Carolina beat Auburn, uh, blew out the Bayou Bengals this past weekend with ease. Uh, 
Um, so, you know, looking at it, this week's hot spot, and I always talk about the hot spot in Greer. And for those of you that have tweeted at me and said the hot spot's still there and then tweeted at me various hot spot locations throughout the upstate, I appreciate that. I think that's amazing. Uh, it reminds me of home a little bit and always good to talk about home. Um, so I appreciate that. But, you know, every week I put, you know, I had I had it called the hot seat and then somebody was like, eh, you know, I don't know about that. And, and they were right. You know, hot seat kind of is sort of what Will Muschamp is on uh, right now, if you think about it. So, um, you know, I, that that's a little too negative for, for a player, especially with this guy I'm about to mention, because some of you want to put him on the hot seat. Uh, after two weeks of quarterback rumors, and I, I think people were having flashbacks to 2016 a little bit. Um, you know, Colin Hill takes the field as the starter tomorrow night, but he's in the hot spot for the second straight week. His internal clock issues have to get better. Um, and and maybe it's he's not trusting it, and guys aren't getting open, but, but he's got to throw the ball away when you need to throw it away, live to fight another day. It looks like out there against LSU and to, to a certain extent against Auburn, it looks like he's trying to do too much. You know, I don't I don't ever really say like tip passes that are interceptions and stuff are necessarily on the quarterback. Um, and that's what he did against Auburn. But and he made some beautiful throws against Auburn too. The touchdown to Shy Smith was outstanding, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But but he's got to return to the form he was at, you know, second half against Tennessee, uh the whole Florida game, most of the Vandy game earlier this year. He's playing really well at a high level. And I know, I know those of you out there that believe, you know, it's kind of an Xbox situation uh, and that the quarterback determines, you know, you know, he's not throwing it down the field or whatever. I would warn against that. I would also warn against when you're watching on TV, because I've made the same mistake many times, believing receivers are open when they look open after the play or even with that angle on TV, because you're not looking at it uh, from the, uh, the standpoint of the quarterback. And, and, and in a lot of those situations, people have pointed it out to me. And then I've gone back and looked and said, well, yeah, he looks open to me too. And then you look and there's a receiver within closing distance right there. Uh, and, and yeah, I don't, Brett Favre doesn't have the arm to, to get it there that quick, you know, and, and it would have been picked. So, you know, be careful with all that, but I, I will, I will say this, um, Colin Hill's internal clock issues have to get better because South Carolina has, has to be balanced offensively uh, against a very talented Aggies defense. They got to keep them off balance. And Colin Hill's got to allow Mike Bobo's excellent play calling uh, to sort of work. And, and, you know, when your quarterback's not necessarily, you know, that, that's the whole reason you start a Colin Hill because he can run it. And when his internal clock's out, you know, the whole offense is kind of shaky. Uh, defensively, J.J. Enigbare, uh, who's been a pretty good pass rusher this year. I think pass rushing-wise, he's been excellent. I think against the run, that's a problem. Uh, he's had some problems. He needs to step up and get better. He's a 265-pound two, DN buck, very super athletic. Um, so I think that Carolina uh, on defense, if you're looking for a guy to put in the hot spot, it, to me this week it's J.J. Enigbare because not only is he going to have to pressure Kellen Mond, He's going to have to get better against the run. Um, you know, Carolina's defense has a tremendous challenge against this team, uh, but the offense does as well. Um, A&M's defense is only averaging giving up, and, and it's crazy because somebody asked Will Muschamp during the press conference, and I'm not coming down on this guy or anything, 
he was like, A&M has the sixth worst pass uh, rush defense in the SEC. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not that bad because it's still almost in the top half of the Southeastern Conference, number one. Number two, I looked today, they're 18th in the country. Uh, and now the stats have kind of expanded, you know, with uh, the other schools coming in. They're only giving up 104 yards per game on the ground. So tremendous challenge for South Carolina's offensive line because I, I think South Carolina's offensive line can make some things happen, but it's going to be a battle. And in the pass protection department, it's going to be an even bigger battle, uh, you know, because A&M's got some ex- outstanding defensive line talent. Uh, I think South Carolina's offensive line is pretty good, but it's going to go back and forth. You can't expect the Gamecocks just to handle them, uh, you know, all, uh, you know, punch them in the mouth. Maybe, you know, anything can happen. They're capable, but this is this is a really good – this is a better defensive – I think LSU had a – Pretty good defensive front. Uh, I think Auburn has a pretty good defensive front. Uh, Florida, probably an underachieving defensive front. I think Tennessee's average. I won't even mention Vanderbilt. So this is the best defensive front Carolina's played, probably by a significant margin, uh, depending on how things shake out at LSU. Because I mean, I, I don't, I don't know why they can stop every, can stop nobody but the Gamecocks this year. Because uh, they do have talent. So it's a big challenge uh, for guys like Dylan Wanham, Javon Gwynn, Eric Douglas, Sedarius Hutcherson, um, you know, Jasta Turnitown. I mean, Turnitown, Hutcherson, uh, even Eric Douglas and Dylan Wanham. But these are guys people think will play in the NFL. You know, so you got to go out there and, and, uh, and play. Uh, you know, it's not a, a situation where these guys aren't capable of playing, but as a unit, you know, they need to go out there and, and hold their own. You can't get dominated because that's just not going to be good. We talked about Luke Doty earlier this week. Um, Doty is, you know, he, he's taking some first team reps. Now, now let me explain what that means. Now, first and foremost, every week you rep the backup with the first team. Okay. Th- that happens. And they've repped all three quarterbacks during the week this year, just because with the late COVID tests, you know, what if, what if Hill, you know, has taken all the reps or, or 98% of them in practice and he tests positive on a Friday and he can't go? Well, then Helensky and Hill and, and Doty don't know what to do, you know. So they've been repping them. What's significant about this week is there's been more of it in terms of game plan type stuff. Um, you know, in terms of Luke Doty, he has a, a package of plays he can run, obviously – you know, we saw that against LSU. Um, I don't know if it'll come out more or come out less. But, uh, you know, they've been repping it a little more. And I think that's smart. I mean, especially if, if you get in a situation where maybe your O-line's not protecting well and you need to add an element, you know, that Colin Hill can't add. Uh, you know, you may suffer a little bit, but, you know, in terms of play calling and stuff like that, but you also have another dimension – um, to attack the defense. And so I think that's what's happening there. Now, this is kind of a banged-up football team heading in. Jamar Brown news this week was very disappointing. Brown out. Uh, Muschamp says he's he'll be back. We'll see. Um, it, it was a knee scope. It was not an ACL. Um, I hate it for him. Uh, and I hate it for the linebackers because now once you get to this point, you know, you're looking at either Damani Staley or – you know, 
Uh, Mo Caba, a true freshman. I'd frankly march Caba out there. Maybe they slid R.J. Roderick up because I think that would be a good move. But I have not heard that. So, you know, linebacker against – you know, being short at linebacker against this crew is not good. Not good at all. So, you know, and then there may be some other nicks and bruises coming up. Kevion Mullins is probably a game-time decision. I would list him myself as doubtful, but sometimes guys that are doubtful do play. So I'll add that there. I'm going to give the prediction for the game at the end uh, here on the final word episode for Texas A&M. But for right now, it's time to catch up on the mailbag. Uh, This is not going to be a terribly long episode, too, by the way. Uh, going to get straight to the mailbag. I just, I, guys, I just really don't have much to say. I just, you know, I, d- I just don't have much to say about this whole thing. Spencer, thank you, Spence, for emailing. I love it when Spence emails. He's, uh, he's uh, an old school emailer from back in the day and a caller on the box when I was on the air in Columbia. You know, somebody should ask uh, folks in Columbia if, if they want me to be on the air again. They can. Probably get it, sell a lot of advertising on it and not be that expensive to pay me. But you do have to pay me. Uh, buddy boy, you mentioned several weeks back that T. Robin must champer tied at the hip, meaning, as I understand it, the T. Mile won't be removed following the season if champ stays. Are you still behind this statement? Moreover, can you sell me as to why T. Rob is a great defensive coach? Okay, so I'm going to answer this as I go. Uh, are you still behind this statement? I mean, I, you know, look – Spence, I, I think in ter- I think there's two different things. It's like, is Travaris Robinson, you know, because you, you, there's all kinds of titles and stuff. I mean, technically, Brian McClendon was the co-offensive coordinator during the Roper years, but Roper ran it. You know, there's titles you can give folks, um, and, and it's not necessarily that, you know, we need a new direction on defense, but, yeah, maybe you bring in an assistant head coach for defense. That was the, the setup with Ellis Johnson was at Carolina. He was the assistant head coach for defense, called the defense. Whammy was the defensive coordinator. Um, you know, so, yeah, I'm behind that because I don't – unless T-Rob gets another job, I don't see Muschamp firing him. Um, can you sell me as to why T-Rob is a great defensive coach? Okay, so I'm going to break this down. Defensive coach is different than defensive coordinator. Uh, Travaris Robinson, when you look at his individual development of players – He's outstanding. I mean, there's guys in the NFL that came into Florida that were studs like, you know, the Vernon Hargraves of the world. But then there's a guy like Quincy Wilson who, who was a, a low four-star guy who was he made into a tremendous player. There's guys like Keanu Neal that everybody thought was going to be a linebacker uh, that ended up in the NFL. Uh, and then, you know, a five-star guy like Tease Tabor still got the NFL. So they, you know, they have a track record there. And then you come to South Carolina – do we think that Chris Lamonts and Rashad Fenton and Keyshawn Nixon – now, Keyshawn was this staff, but Fenton and Lamonts were the previous staff. Do, do we think those guys would be in the league if they weren't getting coached up individually? Um, so I think that's it. I think in recruiting, you know, because, it, you know, we, we, we tagged the recruiter of record and we used the recruiter rankings and all that. Uh, with the database at 24-7 Sports, and that's good, and, and I'm all for that because I think that helps people's career a lot. But it also can be negative if your name's not on there. You know, T-Rob is involved with just about every really good uh, defensive recruit that's out there. 
and, and that's in the secondary on the D line at linebacker, wherever um, he's very much involved, even if it's, if it's not in his territory or whatever. And so he's been a big difference maker as far as getting some of these guys in. Um, so great defensive coach. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at his individual track record, look at the way he can recruit um, in his secondaries, you know, I mean, do they play well? I mean, I don't know. You know, that, that that's a different story. I mean, is he call? Is he a great defensive play caller? Is he a great defensive coordinator? I don't think you can say that. Um, and so that's the deal. The safety play is horrendous. I don't think it. I don't think it's been nearly as bad this year. I think it was last year for sure, particularly one guy. But I think the safeties are playing. The secondary in general is playing a little bit better now. I think they got, for some reason, completely outcoached last Saturday night. Um, is he calling the plays, and why in the heck do you think it's a good idea having a 235-pound linebacker trying to set the edge? I, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, a corollary question, grade Tracy Rocker's impact. I say he's underwhelming so far as Birch and Pickens have flashed uh, within Igbari, but Kier Thomas is the only real difference maker and probably attributable to the previous coach. Thanks, man. Um Keep this in mind, Tracy Rocker has the tackles. Uh, and I know the tackles are small and, and not playing well, but if you watch the film, Thomas is playing well. Pickens, I think, is playing pretty well. I probably He probably needs to play more. Ellis, when, when you look at kind of what he's doing out there, uh, he, he's not been terrible. Uh, they need to get more out of Rick Sandage. But, you know, the defensive ends in the Bucks are Mike Peterson. You know, so I, I think that, you know, they're doing the same thing where they split it up. So I think Rocker has actually gotten more out of Thomas than I expected. Um, and I think with Rick Sandage, it's up to Rick Sandage. You know, he, he needs to he needs to be more consistent and play harder and play tougher. Um, and, and he's capable. We've seen it. We've seen those flash. But, you know, Birch is not – Birch is Peterson and Igbari is Peterson – uh, Aaron Sterling is Peterson, uh, all those other guys, you know, uh, Taka Hemingway is Peterson. So, so that's the deal there. But I, I think Tracy Rocker is a heck of a coach. I just think, you know, he, unfortunately, you know, cause I think the thought going in was, okay, if you get Pickens and Sandage in there, that's a heck of a lot of raw talent at D tackle and they're big guys that are athletic. Uh, and then, so behind them, you can have Kier and Jabari Ellis, and, and they're just kind of rotating in, and they're fine, and then maybe Boogie Huntley gets in, and that's a nice five-man rotation. I think what's throwing everybody off is, for some reason, Pickens isn't starting, and then Sandage hadn't won the job. You know, Sandage is, you know, it's two different situations there. And so you're undersized all of a sudden. And then when you got a 235-pound, you know, defensive end in Sterling – you know, that gets that gets problematic because, you know, size is an issue. And, I, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, I, I think the D-line obviously did not have a good game against LSU, but they can rebound. Now, I'll also say this, there's some contacts I've talked to, they're bemoaning, you know, that, that they don't have enough interior defensive linemen. And I'm like, well, whose fault is that, you know? Some folks connected to the program. Ah, they just don't have – I mean, I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> uh, I get it. And I think, again, the, this this Belk, Sorrels, Green thing 
that happened, which was, you know, that wasn't, you know, recruiting misses like you, you recruit a guy and he can't play dead in a movie. It's, uh, you know, it, it was academic and then a personal deal, and, and that's come back to bite him. But again, who's responsible for that? And, and, and it's not easy recruiting defensive linemen, but, you know, we're going on a while now where the interior's been, you know, outside of Javon Kinlaw has been undersized, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think probably a lot of people were projecting that, you know, you'd have a Sandage and a, and a Pickens inside as the starters, and you'd have an Enigbare and then a Birch uh, and line them up like that. You know, Birch will be ready by midseason, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then so they looked at the raw talent there, and they're like, okay, well, then Aaron Sterling's very productive, so he'll be good. Um, you know, at Buck, Brad Johnson was the guy that Will Muschamp named the MVP of, of preseason, and he, he looks lost. So, you know, I, I think people were kind of in their mind – you know, hoping for that scenario and, and myself included. And I never, I never kind of went on, I, I never kind of went out there and said this year's D line would be outstanding. I thought they'd be good and better than they've played. Um, I did last year because DJ Wanham's NFL guy and Javon Kinlaw's NFL guy, but you lose two NFL guys and you're counting on freshmen and a lot of what ifs. And, the interior of the D-line depth-wise, because, again, I was counting on Pickens and Sandage winning the job, you know, that was an issue. And now it's an even bigger issue, you know. So, uh, but I don't blame Tracy Rocker for it. I, I blame, you know, what's happened with a couple of guys' academic situations and Josh Belt giving up football. So, uh, you know, you have those three guys, it's a different ball game on the inside, but uh, you know, and I've been told different things about Boogie Huntley. I know they're excited about getting him some reps this week. I've also been told to be patient about him, you know, so we'll see what happens this week. Hopefully he can get in there and eat some reps and eat some blocks and, and make an impact because he's going to be a really good player. Thank you, Spence. Tim emails in. He said, what are your thoughts about schools going back to normal next year? I have a hard time seeing any university take another financial hit like they have this year. Spoke to a close friend in the athletic department. He didn't see how they could afford it. Also, how much longer until kids start visiting campus? The longer no visits happen, the more it puts Muschamp at a disadvantage in recruiting. I agree with that last statement, but my understanding is the NCAA is in no hurry to do that. You know, they care about student athletes and all that, but they, they hate the fact that recruiting gets in the major sports gets as much attention as it does. You know, the, the, the pencil pushers up there at the NCA hate it so much. And they also hate that they can't make any money off of it, that they're just willing to, to just do anything they can to hamstring the process. And unfortunately, I mean, it, it does hurt coaches and coaching staffs and programs, but who it really hurts is the kids. Because you have kids and their families out there making decisions on a school that they can't even visit unless they take the, you know, they just go and walk on campus. And even then you don't know. So you're, you're making decisions sight unseen, you know, but, but you, you care about the students and the student athletes and that's your first priority. No, obviously it's not. You know, there's no reason why, even if you didn't have families, okay, because I know families are important, important part of the process. Even if you – brought them in virtually and you had the players and you social distance and you limit the group to about six a, a, a weekend or a day or whatever, you could get that done. You could get that done. 
And, and so I, I think it's sad. And it's not just about South Carolina. I mean, I feel bad for a lot of these kids because, you know, from from Alabama and Ohio State down to, you know, Louisiana, Monroe and, and, and New Mexico State, you know, these guys are all making these decisions and then they're going to get there. And in a lot of circumstances, it's going to turn out different. It's like online dating. You know, you're literally asking these guys to get married based on a profile on match.com and some FaceTime conversations. Now, you know, nothing against some of our single females out there, but there are, or males for that matter, you can do a lot to dress yourself up on FaceTime and on Match.com or Bumble or Tinder or whatever you want. Of course, Tinder, you know, you're going to find out pretty quick. There's a lot of a lot of official visits that take place off Tinder. But, you know, you're basically asking these kids to get married based on that. And and so that's that's another pig-headed move by the NCAA. My theory my theory is it has more to do with the fact they hate recruiting, you know, and, and they're kind of like, they're like a big Homer Simpson when it comes to what to do about the coverage of recruiting. They're like, well, what we'll do, we'll just, we'll have an early signing day. And, um, and then that'll, that'll dilute the, the signing day. Well, now you have a huge signing day in December at a time of the year where it's really less convenient. And it really kind of gets a, gets, it gets a lot of attention when, you know, during exams or whatever. And then you have another set. So it actually spread it out. And now you have recruiting 365 days a year because schools are recruit. They, they move the calendar back. So that was That was going to torpedo signing day. Oh my yeah, Do you know, so that's my theory on it. I'm sure there may be some people that advise them medically. They're like, that's not a good idea. And then that's fine too. But it's just kind of funny that, you know, they're kind of working with all the schools for to play games and to practice and all that. So it's, it's safe enough to do all that, safe enough to have 20,000 fans in the stands, all that. But it's not safe enough to have, you know, a socially distant, you know, six-person deal, you know, and, and all that. So it's just kind of funny to me like that. Uh, I think schools will go back to normal next year. I am hopeful that, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of spread – this winter, I'm hopeful we get through basketball season. Uh, but I've sort of always thought, given the, the weather during basketball season, and the weather, look, it, it's unscientific and wrong of me to say the weather has anything to do with the virus, but people do get more sick in colder temperatures, and it is spreading now again, now that it's gotten a little cooler. Um, and I don't know if that's scientific or not. It may just be people not giving a crap and doing whatever. Um, but, but I've always sort of felt like, you know, if you're talking about, cause everybody wanted to, the, the big 10 was talking about starting football January 1st. And I'm like, I, I just, most scientific projections said it's not going to be any safer at all by that point in terms of number of cases. So I'm hopeful that, you know, once the country and the world really gets past this next wave, there are going to be some advancements in therapeutics. A vaccine would be nice. Um, uh, you know, a, a little bit more of a, a handle on it. it. And it's hard because in, in this country, we have this thing called freedom and it's hard. And what's, what's scary to me about this is, is that I don't really care who would have been in office. 
and, and we're about to find out what the difference is. And, and I'm not I'm not defending anybody's response to this at all at any level of government anywhere because everybody screwed it up. What if this had been a disease where it's like Ebola, where it kills 50 percent of the people that get it? You know, I think we are we were fundamentally unprepared beyond all politics because that's that's kind of been the fun thing for people on both sides to do is to politicize it. Uh, what's scary to me is, you know, as a country, we were completely unprepared and you saw how quick it happened. And, and what if it had been something that was a little bit more higher kill rate? You know, what, what would we do then? And, and so I, you know, that's my prayer and hope uh, is that, you know, we figure this out that we do get back to normal. I, I, I agree with the financial thing and, and look, most universities opened and charged tuition this year. You know, they may not have football fans, but they got students. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know how they can afford it at all. I mean, you're, you're talking about needing to take out loans and all that if you don't get back to normal. Uh, and so that's my hope and prayer that they not only get a handle on it, but that behind the scenes, because we've all been through this, you know, again, it's not political, that the government, state, local, federal, you know, behind the scenes says, all right, well, what happens the next time this happens? And that there's a playbook and that there's, you know, enough to combat it and that there's a clear, you know, science-based plan, you know, not just lock everybody down or wear a mask or, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a comprehensive plan, you know, and not just ignore it either. You know, it's a comprehensive plan because there are way, you know, COVID is a serious virus, but there are way more serious viruses out there that exist around the world. Uh, look, man, I, I've watched Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman a time or two. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Tim, uh, for your email. Hudson says, JC, quick question. With all the hot seat talk with Muschamp, how is the staff handling negative recruiting with other programs from key recruits in 2021 and 2022? Uh, they just stay positive. I mean, you know, and that's not been a problem. There were a lot. There was a lot of hot seat talk. I mean, you had the school president going on record – you know, and stuff last year before the season was out uh, about Muschamp, and they handled that pretty well. They've got a plan for that uh, because Will Muschamp, you know, this is probably about his fourth offseason during his career he's been on the hot seat. Uh, And he's smart, and he is a good recruiter, and the staff's good at recruiting, and they're handling it. But, you know, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, I mean, you know, if if you're afraid, you're afraid. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, if if a if a player is uncomfortable, you know, there's nothing you can really do. But they're they're doing fine, holding guys together and stuff like that. We'll we'll just have to see what happens. But they're in terms of messaging, they're definitely able to handle it. Noah says, and thanks again, Noah, for the email. Noah's a frequent emailer. Again, inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. Keep up the great work. My question is, if you were Muschamp, what, what changes would you consider making to the lineups for A&M, particularly on defense? Yeah, I don't I don't know that I'd make any changes offensively other than, you know, I think you're going to have to be creative in running the ball, which Mike Bobo is, and I think you're going to have to have some receivers step up. You know, I like, you know, the – what was it? The sweeps they started with Shai Smith against LSU. I like when they run to carry Joyner out of that package. You know, I don't know if Luke Doty would be a guy they do that with. Uh, I like the Doty idea. Uh, but lineup-wise, you know, I, I'm a big Jalen Dickerson guy in the secondary. I think he's really good with Robinson. 
Uh, and then Shallow Sanders would be my other guy. I'd probably slide Roderick up the linebacker now that you don't have any. I know they moved Eric Shaw over there to take some reps this week. Um, you know, I would play Zach Pickens on the inside. And, and honestly, I'd play Rick Sandage uh, until he started, you know, not playing well. Because, I, you know, I don't want to find out if, you know, are you put, put Sandage under that much pressure in a game. You know, is he just one of those guys that can go out there and get it done? And I challenge him, but that that's that's probably the least likely of anything. You know, I said earlier that Jamar Brown would be my will linebacker. Now he's out. So, you know, I'd probably go with Mo Caba there if you want me to be honest. And then let Staley back up at both positions, uh, unless you move Roderick over there. Uh put Jordan Birch on the field, uh, put Enig Barre, or uh, you know, you can rotate Enig Barre between the buck and the other end and then play Tonka Hemingway over there a little more. Um, but they have to do something. I mean, like I said, during the off week, and I did, I was encouraged that Muschamp said they're doing some different things schematically to help their guys out. Maybe, you know, maybe it is there. There's a lot of talk. It's too complicated. Maybe simplifying will help. Uh, Certainly, you know, sometimes that does. So, but that, that, those are the changes personnel wise that I would consider. Thank you, Noah, for that outstanding email as always. All right. Thomas comes in. Thomas, like Spencer, is a former box emailer and caller. JC, you made a comment about Kevin Harris running through the ball well, and part of that was getting into the right call. Do you sacrifice that to play Doty? Um, Not right now. Um, But I'll say this. You know, they move with Doty. Okay, I'm thinking two and five is where they're going to have to get to make a change at quarterback unless Colin Hill – you know, has the same issues he had this, you know, last week, this week. And then at that point, maybe you have to think about it. I, I don't know, though, because I think at Ole Miss, what you're really going to need to do is hold the ball, you know, keep their offense off the field. So maybe you don't do that. Um, but no, I, I think I think that if you move to Doty, you, you're going to have other creative ways to run the ball. You're going to run like true zone read, um, read option type plays in the run game, and that will help. Um, you know, given that we are not an up-tempo team by any means, why couldn't he get the right play in from the sidelines? Because there's not – that's not what really happens. I mean, you know, you make adjustments and stuff like that in this offense. You know, we have the time. It's not like the D can't adjust if the quarterback is doing itself. Now the D, you know, can adjust sometimes. Uh, and there's just not a lot of time, you know. So uh, I just – you know – I think if you go with Doty, what you're saying is, all right, we're going to change this. We're going to – we kind of are who we are. We're going to run the quarterback. We're going to run zone read. We're going to roll him out, you know, when we pass. You know, we're, we're going to just do a different type of deal. But they're still not going to be up-tempo. And you're still not going to see a lot of deep passes. I mean, you know, these people that think Colin Hill's arm strength is the reason they don't throw it deep, I mean, that's not true. He's a stronger arm than Doty does. Um, so I, I think with Doty, what you do is you fundamentally, you know, change what you do and, and you do get it from the sidelines and he's inexperienced and stuff like that. Uh, but, but it's, again, I think there's a, 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 a mis like a mis you know, a misunderstanding out there that, you know, Doty and Helensky are just like so much more talented than Hill. Uh, and so, you know, it's just the, the, the play calling that's holding them back. No, that's a big part of why Hill is starting, but Hill is, Hill's got, I mean, the arm talent to do it in the games. You don't see that because there's nobody open deep. 
And then sometimes when they try to go deep, the, the protection breaks down. And then he had the, the clock issues the other day. Colin Hill's got an arm. You're not looking at, oh, these other two guys are just so talented, but we're going to play this guy because he can run the system well. You know, this is not, you know, Chris Smelly starting over Blake Mitchell in 2007 because he could run Spurrier's offense better and was making better decisions. And then Blake came back and, you know, all that. So th- this is not that same situation. Uh, you know, theoretically, I-, I think if they went with Doty, and again, I think it'll be – they have to get to two and five. You know, they have to lose the next two. Um, I think they'll adjust, but I think you'll see a different kind of style of offense in terms of, of what they're actually trying to do in the run game. On tight end recruiting, I get your chance, stance on targeting a certain type of player. So my next question to that is why? Why would you target different types of players at quarterback, running back, et cetera, but only one specific type of player at tight end? They didn't. That's the problem at tight end right now is that you have, you know, guys that that uh, they recruited specifically to play in the slot, like Kevion Mullins, who, well, they recruited him as a receiver, but the Mullins type of guys, you know, they're splitting him out more now in this offense uh, and then you got your guys like Nick Muse, Will Register, or whatever. Uh, and, and they kind of leaned more towards those hybrid guys because if you remember Casey Crosby played well in it, you know, Hayden Hurst was good. The two tight end thing was something that BMAC actually kept uh, from Roper. And, and, and that part of Roper's offense was actually pretty creative and worked. But, you know, right now, are they targeting one specific type of guy? No. But there are size guys like, you know, in this offense, unlike the other offense, the tight ends, both of them, even if you play with two, have to, you know, there's a lot of attachment and blocking and and things like that. Uh, And obviously, you know, I'm not saying that that's the only reason guys like Travian Kenyon and or Trey Kenyon and, you know, Kadarius Toney, who's actually a really good special teams player and has been playing a lot, um, you know, haven't exactly gotten out there and worked out. But, you know, it's just a different deal. You know, even with Jaheim Bell, once he gets healthy, he's probably going to be more of like a receiver type. And and Bobo's smart enough to get the best out of those guys. What Carolina needs right now are more guys that can play attached because that's a huge part of Bobo's offense. Um, Quarterback, you know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. We were talking about – and he's a coach – uh, at a different program, but he, he was kind of talking about Carolina's quarterback recruiting and why you would go with, you know, the Dakarian Joiner and Jay Ulrich and then back to Holinsky and all that, uh, you know, and even even question taking, you know, McElwain along with, with Bentley, you know, when you could have had some other guys. Um and I and I, I kind of start thinking about it when you have like a system, you know. I, I do think you need to take guys that, that are kind of your type of guys. Um, I will also say that's changed because you know you do have your Colin Hills of the world that are your pocket passers, and, and but in college football these days you have to have somebody that can throw. You know, you you, you know Connor Shaw can throw. DeCarry and Joyner struggle, you know, that's the difference. They're not just all one type. You know, you don't just have, like, dual threat guy. That's Those are all one guys that, that aren't really good at passing and they can run, and then the other guys are, are better passers. That, that's just not the case in football anymore. 
you need guys that can that can throw first, but they can also run a little bit. And, and if they can really run, that's helpful. Um, running back and wide receiver, I, I just you know, I I, did, I think what running back and wide receiver, you do have to target different types of, of players. Um, I think you need big backs, you know, quick backs, speed backs, and then receiver definitely. Um, in fact, I think that was a big downfall is they did they targeted too many guys that were alike. Um, but you know, in terms of the tight end recruiting this year, it's more about need because you have a lot of those H back guys. Let's think about it. You have Tony, you know, you have Kevion Mullins, you have Jaheim Bell, you know, and all those guys are very, very young with four or five years left to go. So you know, what you're missing is the, the guy that can play behind Nick Muse that's a big guy that can block. Um, so right now, you know, obviously you're recruiting that type of guy. You need that type of guy. Um, it would seem doing so should get the same response as how BMAC has gotten for a recruited receiver. No, that's not true. That's just completely different. Um, and, and I don't know that they'll, they won't phase out the H-backs. And if you want to kind of the you – you want to get the idea, Tom, go look at Georgia's tight end recruiting when Bobo was there. That's the type of guy they want. And and none of those guys are, are – are, you know, those guys can catch, run, block, do whatever. You know, those are the types of guys they need uh, to get in there. And, and I, like I said, you know, Jaheim Bell's a freshman, so I don't know that the, the H-back type of guy is going away. I think he'll have a role, but – you know, if you look at kind of how this offense works under Mike Bobo, you need that type of guy. Go look at McBride, the kid from Colorado State that's going to probably go to the NFL that caught eight passes for 130 yards last week. Um, you know, big guy, can play attached, tough guy, but also fast, good route runner, good hands. Carolina really could have used him had he followed through with his, with his transfer, but I, I think they were worried he wouldn't be eligible just because of the timing of it. Thank you, Thomas, for your email. Appreciate that. Mitchell says, Pooper, get off the pot. That's the title of this email, and I couldn't agree more. That's kind of how I love life. JC, I'm starting to believe Al Davis started out a Gamecock fan. Just win, baby. I don't care how they do it. Just win. Maybe do it twice in a row, for God's sake. That's all. No question this week. Peace be with you. I'm with you, man. I, You know, that. You, we can, like I said, and, and that's part of the reason why I just watched election returns for the past two days, you know, which is fascinating. But I'm just like, what am I going to say? Because, you know, there's not a lot of confidence the Gamecocks are going to win this game. This is a very good football team coming in that Carolina's never beaten. You know, they're in the hunt for the playoff. Um, you know, they've got a talent advantage even on Carolina's best day. They got a good football coach. You know, there's just, you know, the Gamecocks have some injuries. Yet again, injuries only in South Carolina would injuries start to rear their ugly head during the bye week. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. You know, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of pessimism around the whole program. Um, and look, I, I think sometimes fans feed into that. And I do think that some of this stuff is 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 way over the top. I mean, uh, look, if you're getting on the Big Spur, for example, or Twitter, and calling Muschamp a fat, you know what, and attacking him personally, then then shame on you. 
you know, because, you know, I don't think you know Will Muschamp, first and foremost, and, and I don't think you actually hate the guy that much to where you'd say that, and I'm, I'm sure most of you wouldn't say it to his face. Uh, and, and if you did, you'd be a loser because there's no reason to do that. You hate the results, and you hate what's happening to the football program that you love, you know. And I would encourage everybody to, like, you know, remember that before you jump in and, you know, call the guy names and stuff like that. Now, you know, I deleted I deleted a couple posts, you know. I can't delete Twitter. Uh, maybe I should go at Jack personally. No, that would be bad. But, I mean, there's some things out there that just cross the line. Now, you can be frustrated. You can want him fired. You can say he sucks at his job. Uh, you can say all those things as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, that's, that's your right. But some of the personal attack, some things have just crossed the line. Uh, just like I saw a post on Facebook about Jake Bentley playing at Utah. And, you know, a lot of most of the Gamecock fans are like, well, we wish him the best. And they play this weekend. I think they play at four against Arizona. Um, and then there's all these personal attacks on Jake. Jake sucks. He's a loser. Blah, 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 blah. Well, first and foremost, if you think Jake Bentley sucks and, and you watched his career and then you watched Ryan Helensky last year and you're clamoring for Helensky to play this year, you're the person that needs to, like, get a – go watch a football for dummies video or something. You know, I mean, Bentley doesn't get hurt last year. And, by the way, this whole kick in the locker thing is a rumor. It's a rumor. It's a rumor. People are just expecting – yeah, they, they just take it as fact. They kicked a locker. No. I mean, that's that, – there's no evidence that that happened. And people just repeat it as fact, you know, and all that good stuff. But some of the stuff that was said about him, I mean, they're, they're like attacking Bobby. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, and these are Gamecock fans. You know, per, on a personal level, it wasn't about just like, well – you know, wishing the best, didn't think he was a good quarterback or the answer, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But some of the stuff is just insane. And, and look, I do think you're insane if you think he sucked as a quarterback and that Carolina could have done so much better uh, had he not played. Because I think we all saw last year, uh, you know, when he went out, that was a pretty big deal, uh, you know, based on a number of factors. So, you know, I, I, look – he was at Carolina at a time where there was a major rebuild going on. You know, he was at Carolina at a time where Will Muschamp still hadn't figured out the offense. Um, there was some offensive talent. Not, you know, that they were – if you took this year's line and added it to – and, you know, you threw in Debo and Brian Edwards and Jake Bentley and Hayden Hurst uh and Rico Dowd I'll just take one of them Rico Dowd and add him to Kevin Harris and, and Fenwick um and you have Bobo calling the plays <laughs> I think it's a totally different story but you know those things don't happen all at once so you know the point is you know not to get too too, too sidetracked on Jake but th there there are some people out there that are so mad and I think it's because Clemson's good and I think you don't have enough pride in yourself or self-confidence in yourself and you're full of so, so much shame because you let those guys get to you um, that, uh, you know, they're attacking people on a very personal level. And I don't like that. You know, that, that's called being a keyboard cowboy. 
and 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 you're but you you folks that are saying stuff like that that are very that's very personal about Muschamp, Bentley, players, Bobo, whoever, you know, you're better than that. That's all I got to say. But back to Mitchell's email, yeah, go win. You know, you want to shut everybody up? Go win. You know, you know, South Carolina's sitting there at five and three over the next, you know, heading into Georgia. People are going to come back around, you know, then probably get the rug pulled out from under you against Georgia on Thanksgiving. But, uh, you know, that's a chance at a six and four record or so, you know, which is, I guess, I think South Carolina, very, only Spurrier's best teams won six games in the league. So that historically, that would be a pretty good year. Um, but yeah, they need to win. I mean, the losses are piling up, folks. And, and that's the most important thing. So, Mitchell, I completely agree with you. Please continue to email again inside the Gamecocks at email.com. All right. Dale said, JC, I just want to take a moment and say I got a good laugh out of one of your earlier podcasts when you responded to creative passing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, that was a little bit interesting. I don't know why I found this so funny, but I laughed for a good five minutes. Keep up the good work, brother, and I'm sure I'll have some mailbag questions for you after the A&M game. Until then, go Gamecocks. Well, thank you, Dale. Um, appreciate uh, the email. And, you know, I, 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 I have some good ones every now and then. I, I don't consider myself unfunny. Uh, I don't know that I'm a stand-up kid. I mean, I let me back up. If I was trying to be a stand-up comedian, I think I would be a lot funnier than I am because I'd have some material and, and my timing would be better. But, you know, it's just really good, you know, in spite of me taking the last two days off just because it's just it's bad right now uh, and the election. Uh, if it's just bad, I would have powered through. But I was like, ah, eh, I'm going to pay attention to what happens to the, you know, one side calls it the republic and one side says our democracy. So whatever you want to call it, United States of America. Um, but I, I really do enjoy just getting on here and talking to, about the Gamecocks with all of you. Um, and I love the mailbag. I think, I think that's much better than me getting, getting on and, and doing a monologue every day. Cause I, 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 you know, you guys do a good job of it too. All right. That's all the emails. We do have some tweets. All right. So Michael, and this is interesting. And we got one from Michael. We got one from Joe. Um, I'll start with Joe's because it's shorter. Any word on Devontae Davis? Saw someone on mention on the message board earlier. Honestly, I'd forgotten about him. Any chance he could help in the final five games? I haven't heard that he will. He had a personal issue. He missed a ton of time. So he's probably not ready to go. Um, I think with Devontae, he's a guy they're probably just looking at down the road. Which is a shame because he's a he's, he's a three year JUCO guy and, and he's one that this automatic red shirt is going to really help because he um, he uh, you know he's got potential and you know he came in the first year and projected to play some and then he had that Liz Frank injury which that shuts you down right. And so then he comes tries to make his way back, and he's got a personal issue. That, so, so he just hadn't had a chance. Um, you know, hopefully, maybe he gets back in there and starts playing. And, and you know, I, I would think it would be no earlier than Missouri before we may see him. 
And, and, and I, I'm not making a prediction on that because I just uh, – I just – I think it's unlikely. I think it's unlikely. So, you know. This is interesting. Michael, at Joe Sports Caller, um, is what Josh Kendall said correct? Are members of the board and or Tanner really thinking the fan base is accepting of losing and back to pre expectations? If that's true, no wonder Will Muschamp won't be fired. I didn't hear exactly what Josh said. I saw a paraphrase of it uh, from the Feinbaum Twitter account. And, and so let me just break this down, and I'll answer it, because you know I like to answer in scenarios, uh, with the two scenarios. Okay, so who's telling Josh this? And, and I, I don't want to hear Josh's source. We all have sources, and we have to we have to keep their anonymity, and that's just part of it. But it would depend on the source and what exactly was said. Um, is it a disgruntled booster who gives a lot of money who's just like, that's his opinion? Is that, uh, you know, that the, the administration has pre-spurrier expectations? Um, you know, because uh, that would be that. I know there are not lowered expectations in the football building. Or with the program, they want to win every game they can, and I think you know against the odds, they they still have a belief they can do it. Um, members of the board of Tanner, if they think the fan base is wanting to go back to pre-spur expectations, then they all need to leave. <laughs> you know, because number one, the guy that's still coaching does not have pre-spur expectations. You know. Well, Muschamp is not, you know, a guy that just like, oh, shoot, I hope we can get to the Bowl Bowl this year. It's turned out that way. But I can, I guarantee you, he, you know, he's not sitting there going, all right, guys, let's try to win six. You know, let's win, you know, some of those Spurrier years where Spurrier didn't have a lot. He's like, win more than we lose. That's our goal, you know. Shoot. So that's one. It is like if Tanner, if what you said in this tweet is true and Ray Tanner, who – yeah, I'm a big Ray Tanner defender, but if Ray, if there's that thought on the, if they believe, if you got them in the room and they all said, well, the fans just, you know, they just accept it now and it's back to pre-spurrier expectations, then that's wrong. That's wrong for that to come out of the mouth of anybody that cares about the University of South Carolina or pretends to. Um, nobody wants to go back to that, you know, Steve Spurrier didn't spend 10 and a half years at South Carolina for that to happen. He put in a lot of work, you know, his staff put in a lot of work, those players, you know, the, all the ones that came through Alshon Jeffries, Define Gilmore, DJ Swearinger, Marcus Lattimore, you know, what would Marcus Lattimore, I mean, you know, Marcus Lattimore is going to go out there and, you know, give it all, including his career for this program, just to go back to, you know, let's get to the – let's try to get to the – out. you know, hopefully the Outback Bowl. No. Connor Shaw, Stephen Garst. I mean, you know, let's go, go back to Sidney Rice and, you know, the first Mike Davis and the late Kenny McKinley. I mean, those guys didn't work that hard and, and, and make those things happen. They did for everybody just to say, oh, back to pre-Spurrier. No. And, and and approximately, there's a small group of fans that have been around for a while, and 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 they're generally positive people and love the Gamecocks and all that, but believe that you know Steve Spurs is as good as it's ever going to get, 
and then everybody should just go back and just be happy, you know, and winning six is a good year. is a great year. No, winning six and getting to a bowl is the minimum expectation for this program. Okay. Since 2000, you know, until recently, there have been very few years South Carolina had made a bowl game prior to 2000. And, you know, how, how long would, would it have been? You know, 85 years, 100 years of, of Carolina football, I think 1892 to 1992. So 108 years of Carolina football. They'd been to eight and never won one. So, yeah, at that point, that's the case. But, the, you know, that's number one. Number two, it doesn't make much sense to go spend $50 million on a football building and $22 million on upgrading your stadium and, you know, paying the staff whatever they ask for, which has really never happened. And, you know, South Carolina's made an unprecedented financial investment relative to the school, you know, and, and for those of you that think the board of trustees is just out to hamstring the football program, look at them. You know, they control the money. Look at the money. You know, you don't just put an investment in like that if you're not wanting to at least get your maximize your program. Maximize. Steve Spurrier did not have a magic wand. Okay. Great football coach. Uh, best, one of the best of all time. One of the goats. Okay. Did not have a magic wand. You know, they won because they had good players, good game plans. The teams that he coached did not play tight. They were very relaxed. That's something nobody talks about with Steve Spurrier. I mean, look at his uh, his Alliance of American football team last year. I think was down to San Antonio by a couple touchdowns or something. Lo and behold, they come back Florida and Gamecock style and win. You know, I mean, you know, but that that's not like a magic wand. This wasn't Florida in the nineties where. You know, he had a ter- he had a not so good staff outside of Bob Stoops, and you know the 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 you know third third tier out of the elite tier of talent from the state of Florida got him a few quarterbacks and just diced everybody up as a play caller. You know how he won at South Carolina was fundamentally different, and there's nothing that says someone cannot follow the same plan and have the same success. You just have to you just have to kind of be the right fit. Um, and so for anybody on the board of trustees, you know, if, if someone on the board of trustees really believes that the entire fan base is back to accepting losing, okay, and back to pre-spurrier expectations, and that that's just like how it's going to be, they need to resign. If Ray Tanner, and I have serious doubts Ray Tanner believes that about the fan base, but, you know, based on your tweet here, if he did, you know, then I'm really having a lot of second thoughts about, you know, Ray Tanner as the athletic director because he certainly did not believe that about his baseball program, which he woke up every day wanting to win a national championship. He won two, played for four, you know. And South Carolina had a lot more history in baseball. But, you know, they also, you know, before Tanner, they, they had spent very few years in the SEC – which is different than playing in the Metro or being an independent like they were before, just putting together a team, you know. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, there's some of the greatest programs in the country in our league, LSU to begin with and lots of others. Yeah, Tanner was like, no, nah, we're going to be one of the best in our league. You know, and he built it. And he built it quick. You know, Tanner's first year was 97 by 2000. 
uh, year four, they were ranked number one in the country, the number one seed in the tournament. Year five, he was in Omaha. So I would be stunned if Ray Tanner believes that about the fan base because the fan base really lets him have it. Now, the other question about this is, 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 is somebody, you know, a booster money guy or something, tell Josh this as if it's his opinion? Or, that, or, or did he say something that, like, that's the expectations with the administration, in his opinion? Or is that true? If that, Again, if, if that's the expectation within the administration, and oh, we're just going to be little old South Carolina and deal with it, that's wrong, and that's wrong – you got the wrong guy coaching your football team from a you know mentality standpoint to believe that. You know, I mean, Will Muschamp doesn't believe that. So I don't know. I thought that was an interesting deal, and and I would I need to go back and listen to Feinbaum. But you know, those are my scenarios on that because I I put something about that on on the message board on the bigspur.com and. I think it's real interesting. But I, I you know, pre-Spurrier expectations, that's unacceptable. Steve, Steve Spurrier and that era, starting with Holtz, going through Spurrier, established the baseline expectations for this program. And they're not ridiculous. The minimum expectation in a year is to get to a bowl. You know? And then build a team, you know, the, the, to, to the point where, you know, and if you think about it, this happened for five straight years, 2010 to 14, where you can compete for the East. You know, the East was down some of those years for sure. But college football is cyclical. Um, who knew LSU would be that bad, <laughs> you know, except for one game, which baffles me. That's the damning, that's the damning thing about this year right now and about the whole entire Muschamp era is that game. And it had been a different story had Terrence Marshall taken a, a slant over the middle at the end, and they'd have won 31-27 or something like that. But they got their butts kicked. And that's, that's, an, that, that's an alarm. I mean, you could sit there and say, well, it's LSU all you want, but this is not last year's LSU, not even – this is a – this LSU team could could miss a bowl. I mean, they could be three and seven. So, anyway, I've ranted enough today. Michael, at Joe Sports Caller, thank you for your question, and I appreciate uh, appreciate that. Now, your first part of your question on Twitter was, "Is what Josh Kittle said correct?" Um, and it just kind of depends on, like, my my feeling is what you what you kind of said here I would say that's probably not correct the, the, the members of the board and Tanner think that about the fan base but, but I do think that somebody told Josh that he feels like expectations are back to, to pre-Spurrier um, and they shouldn't be because I, I, I deal with fans every single day uh, and they're not bandwagon fans and, and there's some you know, that aren't necessarily diehard, that are on the other forms of social media, and nobody's really happy. You know, it was probably 70-30 after last year that Muschamp should be fired with the fan base, okay? It's gone to 90-10. Now, you win the next three, you know, because you lose this one, things are going to be ugly. 
for a while. Um, but then you got two that you have to win because those are two first-year head coaches. Uh, those schools both fired coaches that had better records than Muschamp uh, last season that were there either an equal amount of time or less. And those schools aren't called Tennessee or Florida or, you know, some of these quick trigger schools. That's Ole Miss and Missouri. Ole Miss and Missouri. So, you know, and I said last year, well, we'll see who made the right call, you know. And I don't know that these two games mean long-term Lane Kevin's going to be this great hire or Eli Drinkwitz is going to win big at Missouri. But, you're, you're, you know, with everything that's happened with COVID and everything else, first-year head coaches should have a, not have an advantage. Um, you know, so – that's my take on all that. Michael thinks that was a fascinating uh, question to answer there. All right. It was a long episode, but anyway, uh, final prediction of the game. I just, you know, just from what I hear about A&M and kind of the feeling that it's going to be too much. I, I do think Carolina is going to play better than they did against LSU, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to be another game where A&M fans are not like overly jubilant because <laughs> they really never are because they really don't ever blow anybody out or anything. Um, Carolina has their moments, but 34-23. Tony picked 34-20. Uh, I kind of have a feeling there'll be a a late field goal by Carolina that everybody will just want to pull out their fingernails over kicking. <laughs> 34-23 Aggies is my pick. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, um, well, hold on. I did not pick against the Gamecocks, against Auburn, you know. So, yeah, I've been pretty good at picking this year until LSU because I picked 27-20, Carolina beats Auburn. It was 30-22. 35-7, Carolina beats Vanderbilt. It was 41-7. I picked 38-20, Florida over the Gamecocks. It was 38-24. And I picked Carolina to beat Tennessee 21-17. So, I got the margin of victory right. There was a little more scoring. And then, of course, Tennessee won. So we will see. We will see what happens. Um, So hopefully I'm as wrong about this one as I was about LSU. Certainly we'll make for a better week next week. But regardless, I'll be back. You know, we'll talk. And uh, I'm sure you'll have the mailbag questions, more of them. Uh, Again, you know, this is kind of a weird week. And so we'll certainly try to look at, at least getting four episodes out next week or something kind of depends on all that happens. This is JC Sherbert. Appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. The where I'm at, the weather's supposed to be about 73 and sunny. So I'm going to grill some steaks and watch a little football tomorrow. Spend time with my loved ones. I hope you do the same. This is JC Sherbert inside the Gamecocks podcast. Holla at you soon.